HBP Studios. You're listening to the 79th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast. HBP, I'm Dorian, and on today's podcast, we talk softball with Springfield Isotopes, join the FBI's art crime team raiding party in Orlando, find Erasmo Ramirez playing with the Washington Nationals, the San Diego Padres City Connect uniform is saved by the bell, and we choose what baseball NFT to buy. And I always start every episode with a good, delicious American drink. In this case, it's a beer. It's called Woodsong Red. It's a barrel-aged Flemish-style ale from Reason Beer in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville is known to be the home of President Thomas Jefferson and the campus of the wonderful University of Virginia. And we're celebrating Charlottesville on the 4th of July weekend. Flemish beer is a style of sour ale which is brewed in West Flanders, Belgium. And this actually, this beer is actually, at the very beginning, it's fruity, and then at the end, it's sour. This is not the type of beer I typically drink, but it's good for us to challenge ourselves and challenge our taste buds. And Flemish-style ale is also known as Flanders Red Ale. So it's the same thing. All this Flanders and Flemish talk makes me think of Nedward Flanders Jr., who's also known as Ned Flanders of the Simpsons. Ned Flanders has the finest mustache this side of Nestor Cortez Jr. We talked about baseball players with facial hair back in episode 49, and it made me wonder, does everyone with Junior in the name have good facial hair? Does it mean you have tremendous DNA? I don't know. Now, Ned Flanders, he's the super religious neighbor of the Simpsons. He lives right next door. And as we've mentioned various times on this podcast, Springfield has its own minor league team, the Springfield Isotopes, and the real-life Albuquerque, the Albuquerque Isotopes are the AAA team of the Colorado Rockies. And I found it really funny that the Springfield Isotopes play at Duff Stadium, which is sponsored by Duff Beer. And you know what made me think? I need to ask Duff Beer if they want to be a sponsor on the show. And I love that the Springfield Isotopes have a player by the name of Babe Ruth the fourth, who's the illegitimate great grandson of Babe Ruth. <laughs> I think that one of the best Simpson episodes was that baseball special called Homer at the Bat, which is from season three, episode seventeen, and it aired for the first time all the way back on the twentieth of February, nineteen eighty-two. In the episode, Mister Burns, who owns the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant, he really wants to win the softball championship. And he hires, illegally, a bunch of actual current baseball players back then, like Ken Griffey Jr., Jose Canseco, and Don Mattingly. You have to go check out that episode on whatever, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Disney Negative, whatever. And speaking of the Albuquerque Isotopes, one of the minority owners of the Major League Club, the, Do- the Colorado Rockies, they're looking to sell. The Denver Post newspaper is looking to sell their minority stake in the Colorado Rockies. They own about 7.3%. And John Patton, who's the CEO of Digital First Media, who actually runs the Denver Post or some kind of confusing corporate structure like that, he said that, quote, the company has conducted a thorough review of its assets with a view to exit any activities that do not focus on those core competencies, end quote. The core competencies being creating content and selling advertising. That sounds really boring to me, but you know what? It probably keeps a light on over at Digital First Media and the Denver Post. But actually, the Denver Post doesn't want to sell all 7.3% of their ownership stake. They want to sell about half of that. And recently, the Rockies were valued at $1.43 billion, 
which is a heck of a lot of money for you and me. But actually, they're only ranked, their valuation is only 22nd in Major League Baseball. So about 3% of the Denver Post's ownership stake would be worth about $43 million. Still a heck of a lot of money. But I know some Denver residents and some Colorado Rockies fans won't be happy because the Colorado, the Colorado Rockies aren't being sold. It's just a very small slice of them because the actual owners of the Rockies, uh, the Montfort brothers, Charlie and Richard, they aren't going to sell in their lifetime. They're in their 70s, but they are not going to sell. They want, they've said this repeatedly. They want the Colorado Rockies to remain a family business and they want to pass it on to their to their kids because look, the Montfort brothers, Charlie and Mer Richard, they worked their way to be where they are the old-fashioned way. Inheritance. It's true. <laughs> Charlie and Richard's dad, Kenneth Montfort, he was the owner of a meatpacking and distribution company and that's how the family made all that gobs and gobs and gobs of money. The Rockies ownership isn't going anywhere and neither are the Colorado Rockies baseball team because right now they're in fourth place in the National League West Division, 14 and a half games behind the LA Dodgers. The Rockies haven't made the playoffs since 2018 and that's also the last time they actually had a winning record. I found it interesting that over on the website purplerow.com, they have an article titled Reconsidering the Rockies City Connect Uniforms. And in the article, they have a picture of the Rockies right-handed pitcher Chad Cool with white pants, and he's wearing the City Connect jersey, the awful forest green top. And I'm going to tell you, it looks a lot better. It looks so much better than having the green pants because without the green with the white pants, they don't look like janitors anymore. And that was my main reason a few episodes ago why I didn't like the Colorado Rockies City Connect uniform is because it made them look like a bunch of janitors going up to bat and then going out to play in the field with the white pants. It's different. It's better. I don't like it, but it's still better. And you know what looks even better than white pants on the Rockies City Connect jerseys? Our social media accounts on your phone, on your laptop. Our Twitter handle is at HPP4040 and our Instagram account is Hipster Baseball Podcast. Right now, it's summertime. Everyone is outside. Everyone's trying to look as best as they can. And that's where this week's show sponsor is going to help you out. Rogers Pete, selling the finest men's quality garments to the discerning customer. At Rogers Pete, we provide honesty, quality, respectability, and customer service. For the summer fashions 2022, we are now offering the choicest selection of men's, boys, and children's clothing. Remember, at Rogers Pete, we tell the truth, understate, and never overstate. Find us at 487 Broadway or on 5th Avenue and 41st Street, right across from the New York Public Library. Like Billy Joel sang, let's stay on a New York state of mind. On this week's segment of What's on the Mind of Me, Moi, I'm thinking about Jean-Michel Basquiat's paintings at the Orlando Museum of Art. We talked about this back in episode 65. There's an exhibit called Heroes and Monsters, which is a Jean-Michel Basquiat exhibit running at the Orlando Museum of Art, supposedly until June 2023. <laughs> That's not going to happen anymore. In the exhibit, supposedly they are showing Basquiat's 25 lost paintings, which it's some people speculate that he painted these while... Basquiat was living in Venice, just in Los Angeles, way back in 1982. If you remember, or you may not remember, Basquiat was born in New York. His parents were Haitian, and his other parent was Puerto Rican. And he's part of the neo-expressionism movement. Huge 1980s, super important American artist. 
the reason I'm bringing this up is because the FBI raided the Orlando Museum of Art on Friday, the 24th of June. The FBI didn't take one of the paintings. The FBI didn't take two of the paintings. The FBI took all 25 paintings. <laughs> Why can't big government keep their hands off private property? Why can't they? I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> the FBI presented the Orlando Museum of Art a 41-page affidavit for the search warrant on the basis of two possible crimes, conspiracy and wire fraud. <laughs> like I just said, this exhibit was supposed to run until June 30th, 2023. And then they said, actually, we're going to close the exhibit on the 7th of July and send it over to Italy, which they were supposed to send it next year. But they're like, we're going to send it immediately right away. And an FBI special agent wrote in the warrant request, quote, based on my training and experience, I believe that the significantly advanced date of the international departure of the Mumford collection from the Orlando Museum of Art is to avoid further scrutiny of the provenance and authenticity of the works by the public and law enforcement, end quote. People keep saying the Basquiat did not paint these 25, quote, lost paintings. The biggest evidence that these paintings are probably fake is one of the works of art was on a cardboard that had a FedEx, or back then as they used to call it, Federal Express, a typeface that experts have said wasn't created until 1994. That's his, that's six years after Basquiat died. So there's no way that Basquiat would come back to life or his ghost would come back to paint something on top of a FedEx cardboard that wasn't created until 1994. <laughs> Like I said, this was originally supposed to be at the Orlando Museum of Art until June 2023. And they said, uh, actually, it's going to be closed down on Thursday, the 7th of July. What's all this has to do with baseball? All right, all right. I'll t I'm going to tell you what. Because back then, I told you back in episode 65, was that if you're a Detroit Tiger fan and you're going to their spring training games, you're going to take the kids or even yourself to the Orlando Museum of Art just to change things up from watching baseball games, from going to play golf to taking the family to Dis to the Disney parks, from having to go to the pool, because the Detroit Tigers spring training facility is in Lakeland, Florida, which is just about an hour's drive from the Orlando Museum of Art. Because frankly, there's not a lot of good things to see when the, when the Detroit Tigers are playing. <laughs> right now, they're in fourth place in the American League Central Division. They are safely 12 games behind the Minnesota Twins. Man, this sucks, but I was wrong about this Tigers team. I didn't think that they were going to make the playoffs, but I certainly th thought that they were going to be fun and exciting to watch. Because during the first two weeks of the season, I was excited to see what first baseman Spencer Torkelson was going to do. He's currently hitting 194 with five home runs. I was excited to see what center fielder Akil Badu was going to do. He hit 140, and then he was sent down to the minors. I was excited to see what their stud young rookie pitcher, Casey Mize, was going to do. And he had to have Tommy John surgery last month. It's just more and more and more bad news. The Tigers aren't going to make the playoffs. I thought that the Tiger, Detroit Tigers were going to be like a 2018, maybe 2019 version of the Chicago White Sox. Whole mess of talent. Exciting to watch, but they weren't going to make the playoffs. The Tigers aren't going to make the playoffs this year, but you can see them in spring training in Lakeland, Florida in February and March of 2023. But you're not going to be able to take yourself or your family to see the Jean-Michel Basquiat exhibit at the Orlando Museum of Art. So what the heck happened? I'm going to tell you what happened because the Orlando Museum of Art fired the CEO, Aaron DeGroft, back on the 29th of June. 
And there's a picture of an FBI agent in dad fashion, which I found absolutely hilarious. You can't see the, the FBI agent's face, but from the back, he's wearing khaki pants with a belt, of course. He's wearing a black golf dry, dry fit type shirt, and he's loading one of the pieces of art into the back of a family SUV van. <laughs> it's just so sad that these probably fake pieces of art are going <laughs> to the back of a family van. Who knew the FBI procured family vans as part of their fleet <laughs> for their art crimes unit? <laughs> All this FBI talk and special agent talks made me, made me think of Special Agent Big Johnson and Special Agent Little Johnson in the Die Hard movie of 1988, which was that action movie that made Bruce Willis a worldwide star. I love that movie. If it's on TV, I'm going to watch it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Because you may not remember this, but Die Hard, when the, when in the movie, a bunch of terrorists from, I don't know, Germany or England, wherever that Germans, a bunch of German terrorists took over the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. It was during Christmas. I never really thought of Die Hard as a Christmas movie because, like I said, I'll watch it anytime. I don't care. But it could be a Christmas movie, so why not put it on your list for five months from now? <laughs> While you're contemplating whether Die Hard is or isn't a Christmas movie, or actually what consists, what makes a Christmas movie, I'm going to go on to our next segment of the Houdini Watch. There's that guy. Those of you that remember, Houdini Watch is there is a player on your team or a player that you saw all the time, you don't see them anymore. And a few years later, they pop up on another team and you're like, wow, whatever happened to you? And that happened to me with the Washington Nationals right-handed pitcher, Erasmo Ramirez. He's originally from Rivas, Nicaragua, which is a country in Central America. Ramirez has bounced around the league. He's been with the Seattle Mariners twice. He was with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's been with a bunch of other teams. And now he's with the Washington Nationals. But this is his 10th season in Major League Baseball. So cheers to Erasmo Ramirez because it's no joke if you're able to be pitching in the Major Leagues for 10 years to get paid well to do what you love. So good on you, sir. And the reason he's on the Houdini watch is because I saw him pitch against the Atlanta Braves back on the 13th, 13th of June when they were at home in Nationals Park. It didn't go too well for Mr. Ramirez because he gave up six turn runs, two walks, in only three innings of work. And since that game, in five appearances, he's only given up one earned run. So good for you again. The last time I saw Ramirez pitch was in 2020 during the COVID shortened season. He was a relief pitcher for the New York Mets. And in that season, he finished with a 0.63 ERA, which is the third lowest in New York Mets franchise history. That's pretty cool. I like Erasmo Ramirez and I think that he's going to continue to get more and more opportunities because that Washington Nationals team needs a lot of help. They aren't going anywhere this year. They're not going to go anywhere next year. They may even lose all solar system hitter Juan Soto in two years to free agency. The Nationals are in last place in the National League East Division. 21 and a half games behind the New York Mets. They have the worst run differential in the entire league at negative 118. <laughs> 118. Negative 118. The Nationals pitchers, because he needs to help them, the Nationals pitchers have walked the most batters this season in all of Major League Baseball. 304. And the Nationals pitchers have given up the most home runs in all of baseball. 
113 home runs. I hope Ramirez continues to, continues to pitch well, and next year he gets a contract with a playoff contending team because he's a good enough talent to help a playoff team somehow, some way in 2023. The Nationals pitchers have some ugly numbers, but you know what? The San Diego Padres uniforms aren't looking so good either because in this week's segment of Styling and Profiling with Ric Flair, Fashion and Sports, I'm going to talk about the San Diego Padres Nike City Connect uniform. Right now, the San Diego Padres are in second place in the National League West Division. They're only three and a half games behind the Los Angeles Dodgers, but the Padres have lost seven of their last nine games. And they're all solar system, shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr. He hasn't played all year because of a broken wrist that he suffered during a motorcycle accident in the offseason. It's been reported that he's expected to finally start swinging a bat next week. That's going to be the middle of July, and the Padres need him if they're really going to try to track down the Los Angeles Dodgers. But this segment is about the Nike City Connect uniform. So, San Diego Padres... Come on down. <laughs> the San Diego Padres are the last team to unveil their Nike City Connect uniform in the 2022 season. All the other teams are going to finish off in 2023. These Nike City Connect uniforms are horrific. The uniform looks like what a toddler would make you if you left him unsupervised with a box of crayons. I've seen... Plenty of people online compare the uniform to what Zach, A.C. Slater, and friends would wear at Bayside High in Pacific Palisades, California. By the way, that's where rich people live in L.A. I've also seen that the uniform is being compared to an upcoming Barbie movie with Margot Robbie and also the NBA Miami Heat uniform. Miami Heat. Miami and San Diego are 2,600 miles away. One has nothing to do with the other. They both have good weather. That's about it. The uniform is supposed to be based off of the Giant Dipper, which is a roller coaster at Belmont Park in San Diego. The Giant Dipper roller coaster is painted in pink, white, aqua green, and yellow. But the uniform is also supposed to be a nod to the Padres by national fan base in the United States and Mexico because San Diego is so close to the Mexican border and also very close to Tijuana, Mexico. And according to the Padres, the colorful look is inspired by, quote, the vibrant landscapes in the San Diego and Baja California communities. From the scenic views up and down the coastline to the ocean's white foam and the stunning pink and yellow sunsets, end quote. My question is, well... What is it? Is it supposed to be a bicultural uniform or a uniform honoring a roller coaster? The Padres are going to wear the Nike City Connect uniform for the first time on the 8th of July at home against the San Francisco Giants. And then they're going to wear it for every single Friday home game until the end of the season. How do you even describe the monstrosity of this uniform that has a white jersey? The words San Diego are across the chest. The upper half of the word San Diego is pink. The lower half of San Diego is a lime green, mint green. I don't even know. The player's number at the lower left is in a fuchsia or pink. On the back, the name of the player is in yellow. The left sleeve of the jersey is a neon green. And there's a friar logo with a baseball bat. A friar is kind of like a Catholic monk because the friars were the ones that founded the city of San Diego hundreds of years ago from Spain. On the right sleeve, it's blank, but it's fuchsia or pink. 
The pants are all white and they have aqua green stripes. The hat is a mint or aqua green color and the uh, the SD, the two letters are interlocking just like their normal hat. And the SD is a pink or a fuchsia. There's nothing on the sides of the hats, which again, for me, that's a missed opportunity. Why not honor Tony Gwynn? Why not honor Dave Winfield? And another question I have, I have nothing but questions on this segment is, why do the California baseball teams have such awful City Connect uniforms? I seriously didn't think anyone would be worse than the San Francisco Giants fog-inspired Nike City Connect uniform. And again, use the internet machine to look up the San Diego Padres Nike City Connect jersey and also look up the San Francisco Giants City Connect uniform. Nike tried to honor fog, the weather pattern fog, and the Golden Gate Bridge. Holy schmoly, it's awful. The last hope that California has is the Oakland Athletics. But by the time the city, the Nike City Connect uniform comes out for the Oakland Athletics, they may already be the Las Vegas Athletics. <laughs> it just boggles my mind that a, at a state as creative as California would pump out such garbage. To me, it seems like this was a concept Nike originally came up for the Miami Marlins. And the Marlins rightly rejected this awful uniform. So in my mind... This is how the meeting, the internal Nike meeting went when the San Diego Padres uniform was up next on their topics. Screw San Diego. We got bigger problems. The Russian government is trying to take over all our inventory in Moscow. And we're too busy with the new designs for the Air Jordans 77. That's exactly how the fake meeting went in my mind of Nike because they put no effort. at. In, I see it. They put zero effort into this. This is an awful uniform. Not only do I have an issue with Nike. I also have an issue with ESPN again. There's an ESPN writer by the name of Alden Gonzalez who wrote his review of this uniform. I gave you my review. It's my opinion. It's what I think. It's all subjective at the end of the day. But in his review, he wrote the verdict, quote, The Padres and Nike did the right thing in trying to tap into Mexican culture in Southern California and executed it well. Latin players are going to love these. And a lot of them already wear these colors on cleats and wristbands. They bear a stark resemblance to the Miami Vice uniforms the NBA's Miami Heat have been putting out, which is probably no coincidence given Miami's Latin influence, end quote. You go to Aldin Gonzalez's Twitter account and it says he's Miami-born, Cuban-bred, and he currently lives in L.A. Bro, how can you talk about these uniforms like they're the cool Vice City uniforms the Miami Heat use? Secondly, dude, it's kind of shameful that you know that Latins in Miami are not the same as the Latins in San Diego. Where are the Colombians? Where are the Venezuelans? Where are the Cubans? Where are the Nicaraguans in the San Diego community? In contrast, on the flip side of that is, where is the Mexican community in Miami? Dude, you know the Mexican community in Miami barely exists. Here's another question. Quick, name the best place to find arepas in Miami, you would immediately ask me, do you want Colombian or the Venezuelan style arepas? Here's another question. Where's the, where's the best place for fritanga, that delicious Nicaraguan meat street food? You would probably ask me, what part of Miami are you in? Or if I ask you, where's the best ventanita to get some delicious Cuban coffee tomorrow morning? You would already have three suggestions before I even finished my sentence. But if you ask for the best Mexican restaurant in Miami, me and anybody else who's lived in Miami, we're going to be scratching our heads for a while. 
Let's not talk like the Latins in Miami would like this awful San Diego uniform. These uniforms are for San Diegans, for Mexican-Americans, Mexicans, and other Padres fans. And they all deserve a better concept from Nike. And Nike has once again delivered a ridiculously underwhelming product. There's no reason to compare the Miami Heat or the Miami Latin community in the review of these, these, of these disgusting San Diego Padres City Connect uniforms. But speaking of Miami, the Padres MVP candidate, third baseman Manny Machado from Hialeah, did you know that he actually committed to play college baseball at Florida International University, also in Miami? We've talked about FIU college baseball team uh, a lot on this podcast. But he actually was selected as the third overall pick in the 2010 Major League Baseball draft. So he said, I'm going to rather go make millions of dollars versus playing for free at FIU. And rightly so. The dude's, dude's a monster. Manny Machado is having an MVP season. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He had that terrible ankle injury when he was running to first base. But he's he's been trying to tough, tough through it because the Padres need him. Like I said, Fernando Tatis Jr. hasn't played all year. And he's been back from that injury. But since he's been back, he's only had two hits in 13 at-bats. He's had just one walk, and he struck out 18 times. The San Diego Padres manager, Bob Melvin, said, quote, He's fighting through. It's going to take a while for this to go away completely. End quote. And the Padres just finished a four-game series against their heated rivals, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Padres lost three of those four games. Not very good. The Padres are good, but that's not a good result from playing your your rivals, the Dodgers. Manny Machado really wanted to play the Dodgers because even though he only played for the Dodgers, I think for like three months, there's a there's still a lot of bad blood between Manny Machado and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Machado drove himself from Arizona to play the Dodgers on Friday night. And Annie, Annie Hilbrum from the San Diego Union-Tribune tweeted that instead of taking just a quick hour flight from Arizona with his teammates, Machado drove seven hours by himself to keep the swelling down on his ankle because he wanted to give him the best opportunity to play and biologically flying actually increases swelling in your body. That's amazing. I love the commitment. I love that I need to be there for my team and I want to get back at those Los Angeles Dodgers that Manny Machado was thinking. Potentially, I don't know. I can't read minds. I hope he gets back from his ankle injury fully, that he takes all the time he needs during the All-Star break to heal and he continues to play at a super high MVP level. Some of us may see the Nike City Connect uniforms with Major League Baseball as a money grab which it probably is. <laughs> Very cynical. Another business opportunity for Major League Baseball to get closer to the fans' wallet, like you and me, is what we're going to talk about in this week's, ep- in this week's last segment, S&P Double Play, Business and Baseball. We're going to talk about baseball and non-fungible tokens, NFTs. What is an NFT? According to the definition, it's a unique, non-interchangeable digital asset stored on a blockchain. NFT allows content creators to limit the number of owners an an asset can have from as few as one or hundreds or thousands. And so it creates an element of scarcity. It's the same thing as if you go to an art gallery or you go to an art fair and you go into someone's tent and you're like, hey, I really like that print. And I see it says they're 25 of 200. So there are theoretically only 200 of these prints. And so there should be some value, one would hope 
versus another print that has that doesn't have the numbers and so it's in, they can run it infinitely so it's obviously not worth as much same thing with nfts if there's only 200 in existence yours if you buy it should be worth a lot more another thing you can also own on the blockchain is cryptocurrency I'm sure even if you don't own a cryptocurrency, you heard about Bitcoin's latest crash a few weeks ago, but you may not have heard about Nayib Bukele, the president of El Salvador, a small country also in Central America, which is actually a neighbor to Erasmo Ramirez's home country, Nicaragua. President Bukele has gone all in for Bitcoin. He has invested some of the country's money into it. They're trying to build out the infrastructure to that have to have people be able to pay their taxes in Bitcoin, to be paid in Bitcoin, to use Bitcoin as a normal day-to-day facilitator of transaction of business, excuse me, transactions to facilitate business. It's incredible. But the country's Bitcoin investment lost over $60 million in value. Ladies and gentlemen, El Salvador is not a rich country. It is a poor developing country that's getting better under President Bukele. This is not a political podcast. And we can talk about, and you can actually probably look for podcasts that talk about El Salvador and Bitcoin. It's an insane, super interesting story. But after this big crash, President Bukele, he doubled down and he invested an additional one and a half million dollars of the country's own money to buy 80 more Bitcoins. So as they would say in Latin America, President Bukele has cojones to be continuing to invest in bitcoin for uh, for for his country (laughs) that's gonna be interesting to watch but we're not talking about political economy in latin america we're talking about nfts that are already in baseball because major league baseball has already teamed up with a company called candy digital and on that website you can buy an nft of a highlight of a game so a great catch a monster home run you can also buy a short video of of a random baseball player so it's kind of like a baseball card. It's unique. And like I said earlier, most of them are limited editions. And I actually went on the website. I mean, I am not telling you to go there. I'm not promoting them. But it's just interesting on Candy Digital, they have NFTs that are selling for as low as $1.25. And of course, the National Basketball Association is already well ahead of the game because they're trying to turn ticket stubs into NFTs. Think about it. If the next LeBron James is a rookie, and he debuts at a game that you go to, that ticket is going to be worth a lot of money. Or you can sell that ticket as memorabilia to someone else who says, hey, that's my new favorite player. I want I want that as a collection of my love for the sport and for this player. But here's the thing that makes it different. Here's the thing where NFTs make it different than a physical ticket stub because the NBA says we'll make ticket stub NFTs. So... NFT is digital. You, there's no physical thing to to hold. There's no physical thing to touch. The team creates the NFT of some random game in February, and every time they sell it, they always have a commission of, for, for example, twenty percent. So imagine that. Let's say I buy an NFT ticket stub from the Miami Heat, and in two years I sell it to someone else for a hundred dollars. That means the Miami Heat will get twenty of those dollars, but Check this out. When that person decides in five or seven years to sell that NFT for $10,000, let's say, the Miami Heat will continue to receive 20%, in that case, $20,000. That may not seem like a lot of money for a big business, but multiply an NFT's ticket stub. Every game, is you have 12, 15,000 people at a game. In a whole season, you'll have 
hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people coming to your arena. And every time a transaction happens, the team continues to receive 20% of no matter what the price, if you sell it for a dollar or if you sell it for a million dollars, forever and ever and ever and ever. That's insane. That is an insane money revenue generator that the NBA just created. And obviously MLB, Major League Baseball will, will have soon because they're going to be seeing all the money that the basketball teams are making. They're like, we want some of that delicious money as well. Because imagine if you went to Shohei Otani's, the Los Angeles Angels MVP, all-world baseball player, to his first game back on the 29th of March in 2018 when he played against the Oakland Athletics, that's going to be worth a heck of a lot of money if it's not already worth a heck of a lot of money. At the end of the day, why would any sports teams do this? Because allegedly it, it helps enhance the, the fans' experience. Fans can form a closer bond with their favorite team, with their favorite player. Stop. Stop the nonsense. The real reason why NFTs will continue to grow in baseball and all sports is money. Money, money, money. Because the digital assets are going to be a new revenue stream. Because traditionally, teams receive money from ticket sales, concession stands, media rights, which is usually television contracts, and sponsorships. That's why when you go to any game, any sports, you'll see, oh, the halftime is sponsored by Joe's Lawn Care Company. The fourth inning entertainment race is brought to you by some ice cream company. Whatever, it's the same thing. And so the NFTs will probably explode in this decade young kids are going to have them your your own kids will probably already have nfts and they're going and the sports owners are going to make so much money from these non-fungible tokens but we're going to talk more about nfts i don't want to talk too much about it because on an up on an upcoming podcast we're going to dive deeper into the nft world but before we go i want to thank new listeners and I'm going to need a little help here from the HBP bullpen because I cannot pronounce this for the life of me. There's a city in South Korea that we have a new listener from. And that city is Songnam, Songnam, C, South Korea, Lancaster, England, and Fall River, Wisconsin. I want to thank all of our new listeners, all of our loyal listeners. Thanks for listening when we talk about baseball, drinks, Hank Scorpio, and everything else under the sun. Follow the podcast on Apple, Google, soundcloud or spotify a picture of my beer will be on our social media accounts join me next time for a brand new episode of hbp dips or baseball podcast bye